Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. You're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. What's cracking? Welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie, and tonight, rainy night here in South Florida. I had some crazy things happen with my internet, but hopefully everything is is set for tonight, and uh, we'll be having uh, Dr. Richard Jacoby on. But before I bring Dr. Jacoby on, just wanted to give you a heads up on last week's show. Last week we did a show last Wednesday with Dr. Jennifer, uh, Dr. Jennifer Burns. She is a naturopathic medical doctor, and we were talking about the importance of iodine. So if you missed that show, please go back and uh, listen to that show. As I said on that show, that iodine is probably one of those things that are very, very easy to supplement with, and a lot of people need iodine if you have a thyroid issue. Um, you need iodine. If you have prostate, prostate has receptors for iodine. If you have a, um, if you have a um, breast breast cancer or breast uh, implication, then you also need iodine as well. So great show to listen to um, for just knowing how to supplement with iodine. As always, I want to remind you to please, if you're listening to this through iTunes, please leave me a review on iTunes. That's how iTunes does the ratings. And really want to get the show out for a lot of people. A lot of people are in need of health information and want to get that information out. And the more reviews I can get on iTunes, the more uh, iTunes will put my show up there for people to see and people to review. So, again, if you're listening to this through iTunes, please Leave me a review. I would very much appreciate it. Also, connect with me on social media. Social media, I'm on Facebook.com uh, slash Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. You can go and like the fan page there. I'm also on Twitter as the fat underscore man. And then I'm also on um, Pinterest. And I have a number of recommendations there on Pinterest. It's I'm the fat man one. So I'm the fat man one on Pinterest. So Tonight's show is going to be a good show. We're going to be talking about sugar crust, but before we get to that, let me read Dr. Richard Jacoby's bio. Dr. Richard Jacoby is one of the country's leading peripheral nerve surgeons. He practices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and specializes in the treatment of peripheral neuropathy, which we'll be talking about tonight. He is one of the co-founders of Scottsdale Healthcare Wound Management Center and is the former president of the Arizona Podiatry Association and the Association of Extremity Nerve Surgeons. He's the diplomat of the American Board of Podiatric Surgery and is a member of the American Podiatry Association, the Arizona Podiatry Association, and the Association of Extremity Nerve Surgeons. He lives in Scottsdale with his wife and two children. Dr. Jacoby, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you tonight? I am fine, and I'm calling from sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. I know. I'm actually in South Florida. It's been raining here quite a bit, but we're usually sunny like Arizona, but for some odd reason for the last two days, it's been really raining and thundering here. So uh, 
I can definitely relate to you when it comes to the sunny weather. It's just that we're a little bit off with our weather now here in South Florida. But how are you tonight? I'm doing great. Great, great. Good to have you on to discuss your book, Sugar Crush. The first question um, I have for you is there are a lot of books out there about sugar, and I'm interested in why this is coming from a podiatrist's point of view. What made you want to write this book? Well, about 20 years ago, uh, maybe 25, I, I started at Scottsdale Wound Care Management. It's a large outpatient uh, clinic devoted to diabetic neuropathy and the complications. And it was um, kind of hard to get started back 25 years ago because we didn't have the prevalence of diabetes that we do today. Mm-hmm. But that clinic has grown very large. It's a big part of the hospital network. I have since moved on uh, to do my own other type of clinic, which is devoted to peripheral nerve surgery. I ran into a fellow by the name of Lee Dellen from Johns Hopkins, who's really the countries of the world's leading uh, peripheral nerve surgeon. He trained me in his mm-hmm. technique of decompressing nerves in the lower extremity for lots of different diseases, primarily for diabetic neuropathy, a very novel procedure. But when you think about it, it's really no different than the carpal tunnel of the the wrist or the ulnar tunnel at the elbow. So he got me interested in peripheral nerve surgery, and I've devoted the last 15 years to to that endeavor. And that's how I got writing the book, not because I knew everything about nerves. Actually, I didn't. I didn't really understand diabetic neuropathy from the medical point of view that was being put out there, that cholesterol and fat were the, the the enemies when really it was sugar, and that's why we have the epidemic. So that's what Sugar Crush is about. So that gives a little background on that. Yeah. Now, getting into the whole thing of diabetes and diabetic, and uh, you and I were just talking off the air before we came on. I came into this uh, as someone who was in pharma who uh, sold an uh, antibiotic, um, a fluoroquinolone specifically, and I remember uh, all the indications. One of our indications was sinusitis, and we had a a lot of other indications, COPD, which is one of the things the fluoroquinolone could be used for. But way, way down the line, um, I was speaking with a more seasoned rep than I was at the time, and he kept telling me that there are going to be running into cases where uh, the fluoroquinolone could be used for diabetic neuropathy. Explain what diabetic neuropathy actually is, and then um, at some point let's morph into the peripheral neuropathy as well. Absolutely. Yeah, um, the quinolones are a group of antibiotics uh, that work specifically. They're for gram-negative organisms for the most part. Uh And sinusitis, which is uh, a cavity, so you're going to get a lot of gram-negative organisms in there. Very difficult to treat. And the diabetic wound population has a similar pathogen. So that's where these quinolones were used. the diabetic neuropathy portion of it is because the nerve is getting squeezed by multiple different biochemical pathways. So in other words, the squeezing of that nerve, the easiest way to think of it is the carpal tunnel of the wrist because most people know that uh, entity. So the wrist, the nerve is called the median nerve, 
and it goes through the wrist. And sugar causes a biochemical reaction that squeezes that nerve. And the same process is happening in the lower extremity, in the leg, on the different nerves in that area. So when that blood supply gets squeezed off, you get gangrene, infection, and ulcerations, and eventually amputations. So that's mm-hmm. how that that medication is used. Yeah, and mentioning sugar, I think a lot of times when we talk about sugar, people just tend to think that it's the white stuff, the granulated stuff. But more specifically, and from reading your book, you were talking about um, fruits, honey, and you were also talking about starches as well. Is it safe to say that it may be not only sugar, which we would we kind of correlate that with white stuff, but it may also be the carbohydrates that we're that we're eating that we are we just seem to be this carbohydrate loading society at this point. Well, we are, and we were taught to be that. Um, the food pyramid is a perfect example. In the bottom of that pyramid we're told to eat six to 11 helpings of grain. So what is a grain and what's it composed of? It's composed, it's a carbohydrate. Now, essentially you could call it a complex carbohydrate, but it really is not. It may have started out that way, but it's refined into a fine powder. And that fine powder breaks down to what we call monosaccharide, which is a molecule of sugar. And that's why it tastes so good. Now they've compounded that problem by making high fructose corn syrup into a liquid. So they take corn, process it, and make it into a liquid, and it go, it can be put in any food and makes any food taste great. 80% of the food in the United States has high fructose corn syrup in it. That's the problem because we're eating sugar all day long in every form, and we're spiking our insulin. Insulin really is the problem. If you're eating a lot of sugar or any pasta, bread, crackers, anything that tastes good, as I tell my patients, it, <laughs> it must have sugar in there. That's why it tastes great. Mm-hmm. So you spike insulin. Insulin is the only way you can store fat on your body. So if you eat carbohydrates all day long, the excess energy is stored as fat. For men, it's around the midsection. Women, it's on their hips. But it's fat. It's difficult fat to get rid of because it's different composition of normal fat so that's what cellulite and all that sort of thing is about so you can exercise all day long you're not going to get rid of that you have to stop eating sugar in any form so honey fruit it's all sugar but we Mm -hmm. were told to eat it and america certainly does what it's told and they have eaten a massive amount of sugar you're in florida perfect example orange juice yes oranges are okay, but because they come in natural form and they have a lot of fiber, so it would take a lot of time to eat an orange. But you can drink a glass of orange juice rather quickly, and there's very little fiber. So you're going to absorb that glucose quickly and the fructose quickly. goes right into your bloodstream, and it competes against the vitamin C that is also in the orange juice, but vitamin C is blocked by glucose and insulin. So it's all sugar, but it does taste great. Yeah, a lot of people love orange juice down here, so (laughs) we have an orange juice uh, epidemic. Um, Let's talk about alcohol. 
because you have a lot of people out there who tend to indulge or overindulge in alcohol, and a lot of them don't realize that that's actually, once you ingest alcohol, it actually turns into sugar in the body. Um, talk about that, and then talk about the percentage of people that you might see that are may might be alcoholics that might have this condition, this peripheral neuropathy. Right. Um, huge problem in the United States. Uh, a lot of people get all their calories from alcohol. It um, It is a sugar. It's an alcohol sugar. goes right into your bloodstream. That's why you get intoxicated because the brain is overloaded with sugar. Now, there's a misnomer that the brain operates on sugar. It really doesn't need sugar. It needs fat. And if you eat a lot of sugar, you're going to get intoxicated. Uh, and if you, if you get it in alcohol, sugar really gets in there fast. I think that's why, why we have Alzheimer's, um, because it's it's linked to this al- chronic alcoholism that I would say we're getting every day in the form of high fructose corn syrup because it goes to the liver, causes the fatty liver, shuts mm-hmm. off the leptin, which is the, which is the switch that tells us we're full and satisfied. And you turn that switch off, you have to eat all day long because you're never satisfied, you're always hungry, hence the obesity epidemic. Yeah, um, actually they are saying that these uh, brain dysfunctions, uh, things like you mentioned, Alzheimer's, they were saying that they're calling that type 3 diabetes, and it's coming from the fluctuation in the uh, in the blood sugar. But uh, getting back to the high fructose corn syrup, there was something in your book that I had no idea of, and uh, I wanted you to talk about that a little bit. And it was actually, I believe it was like a cliff note. You would actually have to be really paying attention in the book to pick it up. And it was saying that the the byproduct of the high fructose corn syrup uh, when it's processed is mercury. Can you talk a little bit? Yes. Yes, I can. That That's amazing to me because that, that was not information that I knew going in writing the book. So let me give you a little background on the book itself because I didn't intend to write about high fructose corn syrup, and I didn't intend to write or put down the cholesterol hypothesis. But in order to prove my hypothesis that sugar was causing the problem, I had to get into those other issues. And the one that struck me the most was the high fructose corn syrup. I didn't realize how pervasive it was in all the food. And I certainly didn't know how it was manufactured. But this is how it's manufactured. And I'm going to segue over to the politics of this for a second. Um, I don't know. You're you don't sound old enough to remember this guy, but he was in the 50s and 60s. Your father may have told you about him, but his name was Willie Sutton. Willie no. Sutton was a, he was a famous bank robber. And Willie oh. was in and out of prison. And one day somebody said to him, Willie, why do you rob banks? And he said, because that's where the money is. It's simple. He robbed banks because that's where the money was. I always wondered why politicians go to Iowa? And the answer is because that's where the money is. And the re- and this is where it, it doesn't sound right. In the middle of the country, in a small state, uh, not very well populated, but they do have two senators, and they got a lot of corn. And corn is the backbone of high fructose corn syrup. The farm bill is $1 trillion. 
That's why the politicians go to Iowa, because that's where the money is. You can't get elected in this country unless you take the money. Now, Bernie doesn't want the money on the left, and Trump on the right doesn't want the money, but everybody else in the middle, and I think you've got a couple guys in Florida there, Cruz and, and Rubio. Uh-huh. So it's a loaded political question, and the farm bill dominates and dictates what we do with that money. So the corn. The corn is made into two products, high fructose corn syrup and ethanol for our cars, both of which cause rust, by the way, and both have byproduct of water and carbon dioxide, and they produce free radicals, which produces rust, not only in your car, but in your body. So I delved into the question of how, is, how this stuff is made. It's made with sodium hydroxide, which is uh, a caustic acid. And it separates the corn into the starch, and that's how they get the starch. But in order to stimulate the uh, sodium hydroxide, you need mercury as a catalyst. So thousands of pounds of mercury are used in that process. Now, they're trying to get away from that process to a new process, but there were a couple papers that were written of the 80% of high-fructose corn products in our supermarkets 80% of all the food, one-third of those foods were found to have mercury in in them, a neurotoxin, which is kind of startling information. And you're you're an astute reader to find that because that was not a big part of the book that I was writing, but it was a footnote. Yeah, it Um, was. Yeah, and is, is this part of the problem of peripheral neuropathy? I think so. And is so let's let's go from peripheral neuropathy and let me define what that word means. First of yeah. all, neuropathy just means a problem with a nerve. That's all it means. Neuro, nerve, apathy, you know, pathology of a nerve. When you say peripheral, you mean from the spinal cord down or from the uh, spinal cord out to your tips of your fingers. That's peripheral neuropathy. question is what's causing the dysfunction, disease of that nerve. 80% of the patients I see is caused by sugar. And there's probably 200 causes for peripheral neuropathy, but 80% of them can be traced back to sugar or its evil twin metabolic syndrome. So I, the way I look at diabetic neuropathy is, is that we're being poisoned slowly by excess high fructose corn syrup in our diet. We don't know we're eating it because we've been so attuned and acclimated to it we expect it, but it really is a, it, it's a poison to our system. So every nerve in the body is being affected. The real nature of the book that I wrote, Sugar Crush, mm-hmm. is that peripheral neuropathy of the lower extremity, the feet, although that's noisy and it's painful and leads to gangrene, it's the other neuropathies that I think maybe is important or at least under, uh, understood. So let's take MS, for instance. When I was looking at this, and I, and I found some articles by a fellow up at Stanford, John Cook, he was studying a very complex biochemical marker called asymmetric dimethylarginine. Big word, but it basically blocks the nitric oxide pathway, which is the blood supply to the nerve. So I did some 
testing on all my patients that had peripheral neuropathy, and I started to find that they had MS, ALS, Alzheimer's, and a host of different neurodegenerative diseases. And then I, and I started to think, well, wait a minute. This is the same disease, different nerve, same biochemistry, and we're calling all these diseases some separate and distinct process. It's the same process. It's sugar. And it destroys the nerve. Dr. Jacoby, let me stop you right there and ask you a quick question because my brain is working right here while I'm listening to you. Um, What I'm thinking is this is because that when you're mentioning the brain, when you're mentioning different organs or different places within the body, that's because your nerves attach to organs. Is Is that a right path of thought? Our nerves are attaching to different organs within the body? Exactly. Okay, great. Let me me use a little metaphor. So let's say we're in your house, and uh, we have electricity coming to the house. One of those wires goes, obviously, to the lights. Let's call that the eye. One wire goes to the air conditioning system. One goes to operate um, the um, waste system. Another wire goes to the dishwasher, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if the wire was rusting out in your Florida weather <laughs> um, and it went to the dishwasher, you wouldn't call it dishwasher-itis or light-itis. You would trace it back and you'd say, well, there's rust in the wire. The end organ, the washer, the waste disposal, the light, are just end organs. They're functions. But the process is rust, and in that condition is because it's water. So that's how I look at it in the body. What is the process? Where is this coming from? And how is, how is it these end organs are not working? But it's such an insidious, slow process and so pervasive all over the body, it seems to be separate and distinct diseases, but it's not. It's poisoning by sugar. But that's just my point of view. Um, but let's talk about a specific one. Here's one I think is, is kind of interesting, ALS, uh, amyotrophic lateral scler- sclerosis. So let's define that word because in the 1500s, 1600s, uh, they liked to name things with Latin words so no one understood what it was. Um, but amyotrophic, so A means no. Myotrophic, there's no muscle tone. And lateral means on either side. Sclerosis means hardening up. So I just described a nerve on both sides of something that were innervating or supplying a muscle with a nerve that was hardened. Uh-huh. So in Latin, that is ALS, or you know it as Lou Gehrig's disease. Which nerve is it? Glossopharyngeal nerve in the neck. And that's the ninth cranial nerve and innervates the tongue. And the tongue's a muscle, just like mm-hmm. the muscle in your hand with the median nerve for carpal tunnel. So when that nerve is not functioning at the base of the tongue, you can't swallow. If you can't swallow, saliva goes into your lungs and eventually you die. It takes about two and a half years. But I noticed an interesting point. The NFL 
donated about $30 million to ALS research. And I thought that odd because they were studying concussion. So why would that be? Well, the NFL has a 40% higher prevalence than the general population for ALS, supposedly a genetic disease. It's not a genetic disease. It can be a genetic disease. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to get it. But what is this prevalence and where is it coming from? So I'm going to propose this. Are NFL players carbohydrate-loading gentlemen? I think so. To get yes, to be sir. 300 pounds, you've got to eat carbs all day long. Yes. Do they have trauma to their neck? I think so. If you put a 350-pound lineman against another 350-pound lineman, at some kind of force with two carbohydrate-loading humans. 40% higher prevalence of ALS. That's just one example. So I think all these are, are interrelated with the biochemistry, with our diet. And if you step back and look at it from a different point of view, what I'm saying in the book makes a lot of sense. But it yeah. does get tedious. You have yeah, to be interested. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah you have to be interested in, in, in what I'm saying, but it, it kind of connected the dots for me. Um, I wanted to talk about, because you mentioned grains, and uh, one of the things about grains, I don't know if you've been up on, um, uh, there's a book maybe two, three years ago called Wheat Belly, and in that book he talked about, Dr. William's name, and in that book he talked about advanced uh, glycation end products, and you started talking about this in uh, the chapter in your book, or not a chapter, or passage in your book, uh, in the uh, Milliard Reaction. And I'm wondering yes. if you recommend to your patients um, to get off wheat products because it seems as though from what are the research that we've been uh, getting for the past two to three years is saying that wheat tends to raise the blood sugar more than anything else. And I'm wondering if you've seen that in your practice or if you actually um, recommend getting off wheat products because of – I do. I do. Yeah, and, and, and William Davis, uh, interesting, he's a cardiologist by training. He, um, he, he came up with the theory that, uh, that wheat and grain products uh, cause massive amounts of inflammation because of their hybridization, and it's not really wheat anymore. It's not the einkorn wheat that we knew 10,000 years ago. So we, are, we as, as humans, are kind of like allergic to that and we're causing massive amounts of inflammation in our body raising our insulin and causing this this disturbance in our body that whole theory was picked up by um uh, dr ludwig uh with uh, fat chance and he further expounded on that and then there's another great book and i believe perlmutter lives in florida and he's a neurologist and he actually recommended my book, and he's the one that came up with Alzheimer's and dementia as being type 3 diabetes. Yes. yes. So, yes, I agree with all their um, hypothesis. Um, I would rather not have another classification system for diabetes. Then we're going to have type 2, 3, 5, 9. It gets confusing. Yes. You know what to think about uh, this disease? I think you just call it sugar poisoning, which it is. 
Uh, human beings never ate part, or no, I shouldn't say never, they rarely ate carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are not necessary for life. Most people, when they ask me, well, after I talk to them for a while, they say, well, what do you expect me to eat? Because they've, for the last 50 years, that's all they've eaten is carbohydrates. But if we lived off, lived off the land, we would be eating meat, and we would be looking for fat, because fat gives you twice the energy that carbohydrates do, and it doesn't spike your insulin. So you won't get fat eating fat. Matter of fact, Mark Hyman just came out with a book, and he calls it Eat Fat, Get Thin, and it's he's correct. Exactly. So that's what I do. I, yeah, I eat fat. I put fat. In my, I put fat in my coffee. I put butter in my coffee. Um, most people say, "Oh my God, that's that's crazy." No, it's crazy to put sugar in your coffee. Now, granted, sugar in your coffee tastes great, but it's mm-hmm. going to kill you. Are and you doing a, a ketogenic diet, or you just tend to add? Fat? I tried. I try to get as close to a ketogenic diet as possible. Can you do that in the United States? That's asking a lot. The University of Florida has a couple excellent people down there. David Diamond is a professor. He prevent and um, and is a ciphered. Uh, they they profess to, uh, that that's the right diet, and that's the that's the diet to be on if you don't want to have cancer. And that's a whole other subject. I do mention it in the book. Um, but that's what I had to do when I was researching the book. You come upon these things that you think everybody should know and no one knows about it. For instance, Otto Warburg. He got the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 1933. And what was it for? It was talking about fructose. Now, this is 1933, Nobel Prize, that cancer cells thrive on fructose. They die when they get ketones. So the ketogenic diet, that's where it traces back to. So in other words, if you don't eat any carbohydrates at all, zero, you'll go in a state of ketosis, produce ketones, and when cancer cells need some food, they die because they're eating ketones. But if you give them sugar, they thrive. But that's not what we do in the United States. We give chemotherapy and we try to keep weight on patients by giving them things like Ensure, which is nothing but sugar. So the book does go over lots of this stuff. I know it's a little bit confusing, but if you have diabetes, you have metabolic syndrome, if you have unexplained symptoms from sinusitis to peripheral neuropathy, um, restless leg syndrome, fibromyalgia, um, these are all the diseases that are caused by the inflammation that sugar produces. Yeah. Um, getting back to the, the Milliard reaction, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. <clears throat> and then but, you had two other pathways, glucose pathways, and I wanted you to uh, talk about those um, as well. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right. One was the polyol pathway, and then the other was the nitric oxide pathway, which I have some questions for you uh, about that because, again, things just started to come together for me. My mind tends to work like that. But uh, talk about the polyol pathway and the significance of well, that. Well, the polyol pathway is um, the w- best way to think of it. So we're, if you're inside the nerve, just looking at a nerve, 
Um, the blood supply is in the central par- portion of it, and it's supplied by that pathway, polyol. And it really what it does is converts uh, sugar into sorbitol, which is an alcohol sugar. Now, if it, if it produces too much, the alcohol sugar inside the nerve is hydrophilic. What, what I mean by that is it pulls water into the nerve, and it swells it. So that's, that's fact number one, and this is well published. The second one is the Maillard reaction, and you said, is, <clears throat> did you pronounce that correctly? Well, I just didn't pronounce it correctly because it's really a French word. And I was giving a lecture. I was giving a lecture a couple of years ago, and I said the Maillard reaction. And this Frenchman in the back of the room says, "Monsieur, it is the milieu." Milieu. <laughs> so that's the way it should be pronounced. But I said, "I'm from Philly." Yeah. And I say, you know, so it made me think of the um, Pink Panther with um, um, Steve Martin. If you remember that one, when he was coming to yeah. America, yeah. and he was trying to pronounce the word hamburger. And he was French, and he it couldn't do it. So we're going to just go with the Maillard reaction, and right. that means a sugar plus protein. And a sugar plus a protein causes a kind of a complex biochemical reaction, but that you can think of it as the protein molecule shortens when you add sugar to it. So what what would be a good example? It's really a cooking term, by the way. So if you've ever been to New Orleans which they have the best Maillard reaction, which is the roux. When you're making that sauce and browning things, and it gives it fabulous taste. That's the Maillard reaction. Mm-hmm. And it causes the protein in your body to slowly cook. An example would be a cataract. A wrinkle is a Maillard reaction. It's causing contraction of the soft tissue. So when you're cooking a turkey, it gets brittle because that's the reaction. So that's what we're doing with sugar in our body. But it takes about 40 years for that process to work through. But it's irreversible at a certain point. And it causes compression of the tunnel that nerves are going through. So you have a polyol pathway is causing swelling of the nerve. And the tunnel that it goes through is now getting smaller. So you have a structure that's getting bigger and the tunnel getting smaller, obviously it squeezes off the blood supply. So the third pathway is the nitric oxide pathway. So when I was studying this process, and I thought there might have been another another pathway, and I read an article back in 2004 in a circulation uh, journal written by John Cook from Stanford, and he's a cardiologist by training and has a PhD in vascular biology, and he wrote an article called the Uber marker, and he felt that this molecule asymmetric dimethyl arginine, which we'll call ADMA, mm-hmm. was the the molecule that was blocking this pathway. So the nitric oxide pathway, a little bit more difficult to explain, but we have an amino acid called uh, L-arginine. It's a semi-essential amino acid, and if you don't have enough of that in your system, or it's being blocked, then you'll change the outcome, which is nitric oxide. And of course, in biochemistry, there's always got to be 50 different um, coenzymes involved, but that's called BH4. So you can 
convert L-arginine to nitric oxide, which dilates the blood vessel. In other words, allows more blood in. Or you can downregulate that BH4, and I believe that it's because of the lack of vitamin C that's competing with glucose. And you produce peroxynitrite, which is very vasoconstrictive, shuts off the blood supply. So that's a third pathway. So you've got three things working against you, all involving sugar. Let me ask you something about this nitric oxide thing, because um, from my experience, nitric oxide is very um, useful when it comes to, uh, for men, for their erection, for women, for blood supply to, you know, the sexual organs. But more importantly, um, it's also good for what I would consider pooling blood, to getting blood to areas to heal. Um, when that's affected, have you seen any of that when the, when this various chemical pathway, the nitric oxide pathway, where things like that are affected? For instance, if you have someone that comes in for a diabetic neuropathy where they're losing sexual function or whereas um, they may have had an operation or something and have don't and it, and not, are not healing properly. You are very astute, and you're absolutely correct. And in my new book that I'm writing right now, I'm trying to add, <clears throat> add some more humanization in it, and we were going to cover that topic in detail. So and I was talking to my editor, and she said, we need to add some sex, drugs, and rock and roll into this thing to make it <laughs> a little bit more, more uh, palatable for the masses. And sexuality, obviously, is, is a huge concern. When you're watching TV, that's all you see is um, Cialis and uh, Viagra ads. Yeah. And also um, benign hypertrophic prostate, where everybody's you know get, getting up, go to the bathroom, and, and female leakage and all these things. You're trying to watch TV with your kids, and they're subjected to this stuff. But mm-hmm. it's happening. And you're absolutely correct. So let's kind of look at that. Now, I have a bunch of doctor friends who really kind of coming around now to my point of view. So let's talk about the end organ damage. And that's a perfect segue from peripheral neuropathy. Mm-hmm. And, and so let's talk about the gynecologist first. The gynecologist is seeing the postmenopausal woman, and that would be 40 to 60, let's say, they're still young, but the vaginal mucosa is starting to dry out, is starting to get atrophic, and they're having sexual issues, and they're having urinary incontinence for a variety of reasons, but sugar is implicated in that. Now, I'm going to get a little technical here, but... Mm-hmm. The small, unmyelinated nerve fibers, they're called the C fibers. And they're the ones that are very sensitive. They're all over your body, but in particular in the vagina or the, in the penis, that's, that's the fiber that is conducting uh, that sensation of, of stimulation. And then we have the sensory fibers that carry that. And then eventually we have motor fi- fibers, and then they, you have no function and you have loss of bladder control. So, yes, you're right. As we age, part of the aging process is part of that, 
But when you add sugar to it and damage the nerves, that is accelerated. So, yes, that is the first, first sign. Now, we have lasers uh, for that problem, by the way, that can stimulate the mucosa or stimulate the nerves to re-innervate, change your diet, take supplements, avoid sugar, and that function will start to come back. That's the basis for uh, Viagra, by the way. The, um, I'd have to get too technical here, but it's, it, the more nitric oxide you can produce, mm-hmm. the more blood supply is going to go to the end organ, and it's that simple. So it's really blood flow. So, and blood brings oxygen, and it does its thing. Doesn't matter whether it's your eye, your finger, your ear, or whatever organ you're talking about. Yeah, that nitric oxide is important. I know they implement that a lot in selling bodybuilding products and different types of things of that nature. So it's it's very important to have proper uh, nitric oxide. Um, you explain the surgery that you actually do in the uh, the book, and I think you mentioned at the beginning of the segment where. Uh, you learn the surgery from somewhere else. Talk about the surgery and also talk about, uh, in the book, you, you really talked about why you were a bit apprehensive to actually try the surgery. So I wanted you to talk about that uh, as well. Well, that, that's, that's a super question. And by the way, I really appreciate you not just glancing at this book. These are excellent questions. So you obviously read it and understood it. So these are, I mean, I've done a lot of interviews, but you are right on top of this. So let's go back 25 years. I'm in the wound care center. I'm doing the traditional medical treatment that everybody does. And unfortunately, they're still doing it 25 years later. So I'm going to give you my personal story. About 20 years ago or thereabouts, I had this sudden sharp pain in my lower right quadrant and I went and got an ultrasound and I had a gallstone well my mother had gallbladder disease so I figured that that was hereditary and that would happen to me I would have episodic pain came came and went I was going skiing one day and I had probably three or four episodes prior and I thought I'm on my way to the airport and this pain is getting intense so I so I called a friend of mine who's a general surgeon. I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm just finishing up surgery. I said, don't go home. I turned around and went to the hospital, and he took my gallbladder out. True story. Um, didn't think much about it. It relieved the pain. And I was in the lunchroom, and one of my family doc friends said, what happened to you? And I said, my gallbladder out. And he had a pile of food on his plate, and he was a rotund boy. And uh, he said, well, the problem with you, you don't exercise your gallbladder enough. And I said, what do you mean? He says, you probably don't eat breakfast. I didn't. Um, But I was working in the hospital in those days, so I kind of ate the the bagel kind of thing. And those days, I went to the gym every day and lifted weights because I liked to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think subconsciously, I ate to satisfy my lifting weights. So it was a kind of a gift, you know, like a reward. But unbeknownst to me, I was eating a lot of carbs, not knowing it. And then with the gallbladder thing, I thought, wow, I got to really 
eliminate fat from my diet because that's what's that's what's recommended. So anyway, this kind of lingering thought: the gallbladder is a muscle. I'm not exercising it enough. I'm by not eating enough. And I run into Lee Dellen at, at Johns Hopkins, Johns Hopkins, and and he has this theory of nerve compression. And what we do in the lower extremity, and I'm telling a kind of a couple stories here in one, but he's saying the nerve is being compressed in the end phase of that biochemistry we just talked about, and it's fibrosed, it's scar tissue, and you have to open up those tunnels and sensation will return. And it does. He's written 55 chapters, two textbooks, 600 articles, and not a lot of doctors follow his advice. He's trained maybe 300. I'm one of them. I've done a couple thousand of those procedures. And I went back to him a couple years later, and that's how I wrote the book. And I said, Lee, we get like 85% excellent results. I wonder why we don't get 100%. And he said, you figure it out. Well, that's what sugar crush is about. So then I had that gallbladder attack, and I was learning what Dellen's talking about. And I thought, well, I'm going to really study this. So I went outside my field. I find an, uh, a book written by a physician. This is his real name, so you have to hold on to this one. And his name is Peter Dick. He wrote a two-volume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I know that's cruel. He has a he has a son yeah. too, Junior. So we got big. Well, you know, the big guy and the little guy. And yeah. but he's a brilliant neurologist in that book he says people who have their gallbladder out have a 50 percent chance of going on to have diabetes he didn't say the mechanism he didn't understand why but he just made that fact and here i am with my gallbladder out i'm back in the clinic i'm seeing a patient mrs jones how are you what's that smell i look at her foot she's got gangrene let me see what your history is about she had her gallbladder out. She had a heart attack 25 years prior. Next patient, same thing, same thing. Had my gallbladder out. I said, oh, my God, what's going on here? So I'm theorizing that the gallbladder is a muscle, just like the hand mm-hmm. or the toe, and the nerve to it is not working. It's not emptying completely. I'm not exercising enough, back to my family doctor. It has a residual stuff, which is cholesterol, but it's not the cholesterol that's causing the stone. It's because it's not emptying completely. So there's a residue like in the sink with minerals. You're, bring, you're leaving stuff back. It forms a stone, blocks the duct, and it hurts like hell, and you want that gallbladder out. Mm-hmm. There were 800,000 gallbladders taken out last year. It's sugar, and it's just been added to the metabolic syndrome, by the way. So I was correct you know, 15 years ago. So then I said, oh, all nerves must have the same process. This is a warning. Gallbladder is a warning that you have metabolic syndrome. I changed my diet. I put fat back in, took the sugar out. Now, it's not easy to do by Mm -hmm. any means to get into a ketogenic state. It's painful because you're so addicted to bread, pasta, everything that tastes good. And... I didn't know how to read the labels, and the labels were meant to be confusing because they want you to eat the sugar. If you knew how much sugar was in there, you wouldn't eat it. So it's a complicated question, with, but with a simple answer. Stop eating sugar. All these symptoms can be related to the one process. 
and I was the victim of it. That's part of the reason why I wrote the book, because I was confused. And I, I use a term that I was educated into ignorance. So this whole fat hypothesis. So then I delved into that. Mm-hmm. That's not only, that's not just confusion. That's purposeful deception. We were taught viciously, I believe, that fat was bad and was demonized. And cholesterol, by the way, is not a fat. Cholesterol is necessary for brain function, necessary for heart function, and people are taking statin drugs to the tune of about $30 billion a year. It has nothing to do with heart disease. Sugar mm-hmm. is what causes heart disease. It causes inflammation. The cholesterol sticks to the artery wall because it's inflamed and it's trying to repair it. So I use a little analogy. You're out at the corner and every day there's an accident. And you notice that ambulance is there every day. Now, do you walk up and say, aha, ambulances are causing accidents? No, they're the first responders. It's just like in the NFL, one guy punches somebody, the ref is looking the other way, and he turns around and sees the second guy punch, and he gets the penalty. Cholesterol is the secondary. He's the secondary. Sugar is the through the first punch. Let me ask you this, Dr. Jacoby. Um, if we were not too far along, I didn't come in and I didn't have, you know, the gangrene or whatever. Um, if I just suddenly just said, you know what, I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to drop sugar from my diet, as you suggested. How long would it take for us to, to turn turn things around? Good question. So that would depend what phase you're in. Mm-hmm. So I, I divide them up to five phases. The first, and this is for diabetic peripheral neuropathy. Right. So in the first phase, you might get a little zinger in your toe. It, it kind of stings, comes and goes. Maybe a couple of months later, it, more often, maybe more intense. That's phase two. Phase three, it's constant. You can't sleep, and somebody's put you on a medicine, either an opioid or a lyric or something like that, and you think you're getting better because you don't have the pain. Phase four, you say, wow, I have less pain, but I'm more numbness. Phase five is I'm all cured. I don't have any pain whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I have no feeling in my feet, but I don't know why that smell is coming from my shoe because I got gangrene. So that's phase five. Mm-hmm. You're heading for an amputation. So there are the five phases. So phase one and two, they're the early warning signs. Don't take a medication to take the pain away. Take the sugar away, which is causing it. So in that phase one and phase two, eliminate sugar, put more fat back in your diet, maybe supplements, of B vitamins, B6, B12, folic acid. There's a lot of things you could do, L-arginine, um, um, glutathione, alpha-lipoic acid. These are all good things to do to ward off those symptoms. But once you hit phase three and heading for four, you probably need the surgery. But there are other modalities coming online, lasers. There's a device called CET. It's a couple of brand names like Neurogenics. They're electronic devices that can help restore nerves. There's one that's called the Calamari out of Italy. Uh, that scrambles this the signal so you don't feel that. So there's a lot of new things that are coming on that can help, but essentially what you got to do is 
Stop eating the poison. Stop eating the sugar. Um, yep. Last question for you. I didn't want to keep you more than an hour here. Is it safe to say you said that you tried to do a uh, ketogenic diet, but I, I would think that it's safe to say that you are a proponent of a, a low-carb diet. And uh, answer that. And then the second part of that is, is this something mainly for your older population, or are you starting to see these? And I'm I'm 45, not as young as you think I'm are. I am, but <laughs> I um, are you starting to see this in my age population, maybe even younger people in their 30s, just because we are actually consuming so much more sugar than we consumed, you know, even 10 years ago. So if you could take those two questions, and that'll be be the last two. Yeah. Uh, we are. We're consuming a mass amount of sugar. Actually, we see it in kids. I think some of these uh, behavioral problems are sugar. We start them on um, formula, which is loaded with sugar. We feed them sugar every holiday like we just did with Easter. Can you be in a strict ketogenic diet? Yes, but you're going to be really skinny because you're not going to have any fat. Uh, it'll be a little boring. So I do eat some carbs i do like there's a grain called jovial that Mm -hmm. has a pasta eat that once in a while but but i'll tell you the truth once you get off of carbohydrates you don't desire them like you did so you enjoy fat you enjoy a steak you enjoy eggs and bacon and things like that and you feel great and you're not hungry so you don't really eat that much i love butter so i put butter on everything i like asparagus spinach green leafy vegetables and a steak, I'm good to go. Now, the alcohol, yes, I do like red wine. The drier the wine, the better. The whiter the wine, the more sugar. Uh, beer is beer. is beer. It's made from grain. They're all made from grain, but um, that's going to make you fat. But you can have a beer once in a while. It's not going to kill you once in a while. But I'll tell you the truth, you're, you're not going to desire the alcohol because it's it has a, I mean, you're, you feel it after one drink because your, your system is clean. Mm-hmm. So, but I think if you get into a disease state, a serious one, you want to be on a ketogenic diet. Absolutely. Yeah, so I would definitely. My, yeah, but it's it's not easy to do. Yeah, I would definitely have to agree with you there. I think that most people who are having, you know, any uh, illness may want to look at switching to a ketogenic diet. But like you said, it's just a matter of we're so used to eating all the pasta. I'm I'm gluten-free. I've been gluten-sensitive for a number of years, and I found out, and I eliminated gluten from my diet. And um, I remember that, that point when I did that. I'm like, well, why? What am I going to eat? <laughs> and, but I adjust. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been gluten-free for seven or eight years now, and I seem to um, adjust. And then, you know, there's some gluten-free stuff out there. A lot of it isn't healthy, but occasionally, you know, I want to eat a hot dog. I'll have a, hot, a gluten-free hot dog bun or something like that. But I normally don't try to try to overdo it as much. But um, I, I definitely know what you're saying. A lot of people just panic when they can't eat the things that they're normally used to eating. But um, your book is Sugar Crush. How to Reduce Inflammation, Reverse Nerve Damage, and Reclaim Good Health. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on, Dr. Jacoby. You are probably one of those doctors, if I had a problem, I would come and see because you're definitely open-minded and you seem to be uh, challenging the, the status quo. And uh, I was in farm and I called on a lot of doctors, and you are way ahead of them. 
<laughs> by by the way you thinking. So I definitely uh thank you for coming on. And um you're working on another book. When is the other book gonna be done? It should be done in a month or two. Uh when it'll hit I don't know, but I'd like to get it out as much more uh, political conspiracy. Why are we doing what we're doing as a nation? We're destroying it. Uh, we need transparency in the food we eat, and we got to understand the food is causing diseases. So that's the nature of the new book. Well, I'll keep my eye out for it. I got your assistant's name. I'll touch base with her, and when it comes out, she can send me a copy, and we'll we'll definitely have you back on. Um, I know people out there; they tend to want to. Go and see uh, who's talking and if they want to work with you or something like that. I didn't know if you had um, a website. I looked you up online, but I didn't know if you there was a website there that people might be able to get in contact with you on. Uh, yeah, I have my own um, practice website, uh, Valley Foot Surgeons, but I also have um, Sugar Crush the book. So I post lots of supporting evidence that we just talked about on that site. So if you want to get more in-depth on these uh, topics, you can go to Sugar Crush, the book. Great. Dr. Jacoby, thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. Well, I thank you, and it was an excellent interview, and I've given a ton of them, and you are one of the best. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I pride myself on interviewing, and my Prior pharmaceutical knowledge helps me a lot with a lot of these books. So it helped me with your book a lot. But well, thank it, you. it came through loud and clear. Thank you very much. Thank you. You have a good evening, and thanks again for being you, on. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Good night. All right. Sugar Crust, go pick the book up. And, guys, I had a bit of an issue with my sound. I don't know what's going on. My um, headphones seem to not be working, and it went back into my internal speaker. So I hope that that – you know, it wasn't too noticeable, and I'll check on this when I um, end the, the interview. Um, next Monday, the first Monday of April, we'll have Dr. Terry Walls on, and she'll be coming on to talk about her book, The Walls Protocol. So if you're out there listening, that's a definite interview that you probably want to touch. Uh, Dr. Walls has been on TEDx and a number of people, a number of other media outlets sharing her experience. She's a medical doctor who was actually in a wheelchair suffering from multiple sclerosis and ended up putting her multiple sclerosis in remission through primarily changing her diet. Again, that theme seems to ring loud and clear. Changing your diet is the way to go. So I hope you're picking up on that. Again, I will see you next Monday, same fat time, same fat channel. Thank you for listening. Peace and love, y'all. Good night.